0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Seek First Podcast, where we share biblical truth and engage in today's culture. Rick Brown here. Take a minute to subscribe to Seek First Podcast. I really appreciate it. Stick around, I think you're going to be encouraged. Spending time with the Lord will be the best part of your day, so let's get ready. Grab your Bible, prepare your heart and your mind. Let's roll. Well, good afternoon, God speak. I'm glad some of us showed up here at one o'clock. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 5 and 6. So if you have a Bible, open up And our servants team. Have a Bible. Raise your hand if you need one and you want one to read along with us. And they'll get that to you. Uh, you know, it's been such a blessing already. Saturday night, two Sunday morning services. And because of the nature of Nehemiah, I find other, really no other passage in the scriptures. Maybe a close second would be Ezra about the rebuilding of a nation, and so this is part four in the series this weekend. I shared a different message uh, from this passage from Nehemiah chapter one all the way as we're going to finish to chapter six, so if you want to know the other three messages that preceded this uh, this weekend, you can get online, and the guys will get that loaded up, but I have used this uh, acronym, Rebuild Our Nation Now. The title of our message is Rebuilding Our Nation, and we know that this is really what is needed, and it starts with God's people, with the heart for the Lord, and then it works its way out into practicality. I'd been here for about a year and a half, and I, uh, from Idaho, and I come from a very, probably the most conservative part of Idaho, the state of Idaho, and there is just a tremendous, in general, there's a fear of the Lord, and a respect for law and order, and a love for our country, and that's what I've grown up with pretty much my whole life, though I did live in inner city, North Hollywood, and get the tar knocked out of me, and inner city, Phoenix. So I've been everywhere, man. I've lived in like 45 different houses in my life. And as I've moved all over the place, but the majority of my life was uh, in a God-fearing community that loves our nation. And I came and hung out with you guys, I don't know what I was thinking, to California, right? (laughs) To uh, communist California, and seeing the, I'm a Astute student of history, and so I read lots of history, lots of biographies, and Uh, being privy to it but it's always been in a distance but here with all the laws and everything became very up close and after hanging out with you guys for about a year and a half I went home we were doing a family vacation I was getting together with my older brother who's also a pastor and has just a a contagious joy for the Lord so my older brother and I are are super tight in uh, our love for each other and the journey that we've been through and we were hanging out and we were going to do uh, a uh, really fun uh, time together. Go to our hometown state fair. All right, is the biggest thing that happens in this sleepy little town of Fire, Idaho. About 1,800 people. And it was smaller than that when we were growing up, and it didn't strike me as I'm hanging out with my family. And I went to the rodeo. Now, this is a rodeo that him and I uh, wrote. I was my brother and I are both bull riders. My brother broke his uh, arm in the steer riding back there in the 70s. I mean, we have a lot of history in this arena and going to this fair, and. I was overwhelmed. It was a Saturday night, and I had told my brother, hey, let's go to the, let's go to the rodeo. Let's go to the fair. And so we took our wives, uh, a couple of his kids and grandkids were with us, and we stand up to start the rodeo. There's 4,000 people. And they start with the most sincere, sweet prayer to the Lord Jesus to start the rodeo. They go on from prayer to sing the national anthem, but the girl who was gonna sing the national anthem in the middle of the arena had a technical failure and her microphone wouldn't work. And so the announcer begins to sing the national anthem. There's not a person seated in the place with 4,000 people. But before they sang the national anthem, it was right after the Afghanistan debacle and the 13 people that were killed. On the front row, the best seats in the house were 13 seats with an American flag draped over them, and they read all of their names to honor these soldiers. Then we sang the national anthem. Everybody had their hats off, their hands over their hearts. And as it began, literally, I felt like something came unhinged inside of me because I'd been hanging out in California, fighting this stuff, doing so many pod, uh, podcasts, and then you're diving into really the the satanic influence of what's going on in the nation right now and something just came unraveled inside of me and I I couldn't even sing, the tears were just flowing down my face because that's where I'm from, that's home, that's what I grew up with and I didn't realize how homesick I was for that kind of faith and freedom being here for a year and a half. And as I reflect on that and I think the story of Nehemiah The journey of God's people has always been a cycle. People get right with God, God blesses them with prosperity and peace, then they turn their back on God and then oppression and poverty comes. And then they repent and they get right with God. The book of Judges is a cycle of this over and over and over. One generation, you see, every single generation needs a revival of their own. Do you know that? Parents, you want to share that with your kids? No, you had your revival. Their generation needs their revival. When I die, I will be able to say I did all I could to hand off my faith to the next generation and the freedom of our nation. And you hand it off to them. It's like this this, uh, incredible relay race. And now, tag, you're it. I'm going to be able to give an account for my generation that I did what I could. And Nehemiah in this story is standing up to stand in the gap to rebuild his nation. They turn their back on God. God warned them over and over. He brought the discipline and the judgment of the nation of Babylon and three succession, successive waves. They took them captive, but he promised that they would be able to come back and rebuild their temple and rebuild their walls. And so Nehemiah's burden for God and his people so overwhelmed him, he began to fast and pray, and then when the king saw his face was sad one day, chapter two, he said, why are you sad? And he said, because my hometown is in ruins. The walls are broken down, the gates are burned with fire, and I got a heart for my people. I want to bring restoration. You see, God is into rebuilding people's lives and families' lives and nations' lives. God loves to restore. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to rebuild, to transform with love and grace and forgiveness, and to fill with strength. But the rebuilding process is not easy. As soon as you say, I'm going to follow the Lord, all the gates of hell want to come against you. As soon as you say, I want to rebuild my family, or I want to stand up and be a voice at work, all the gates of hell will come against you. And so you have to be prepared for that kind of battle, and that's in this fourth part of this series what I want to share with you. Let's stand together. We're going to start reading in chapter 5 of Nehemiah. As we look at the acronym, the last word in this rebuild our nation now is now. And we're going to start with the N. But let's start looking at verse 1, chapter 5. And we're going to read through verse 13. And now there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. For there were those who said, we are sons, our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. "'There were also some who said, "'We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses "'that we might buy grain because of the famine. "'There were also those who said, "'We have borrowed money for the king's tax "'on our lands and vineyards. "'Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, "'our children are as their children. "'Indeed, we we are forcing our sons and our daughters "'to be slaves.' And some of our daughters have been brought into slavery. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. And I became very angry, this is Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these words. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury or interest, high interest, from his brother, So I called a great assembly against them, and I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren, who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren, or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, I'm lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury or high interest. Restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, the olive groves, and their houses, also a hundredth of the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. So they said, we will restore it and will require nothing from them. We will do as you say." then i called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to their promise then i shook out the fold of my garment and said so may god shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise even thus may he be shaken out and emptied and all the assembly said amen and praise the lord then the people did according to this promise Father, we ask now that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things from your word by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at this acronym now, the first thing we need to realize in verses, really the whole chapter of chapter 5, is that even though we're going through this cultural war that is really rolling across our nation and around the world, Needs must be dealt with even in hard times. And I mean of a more personal nature. You can look at the crisis out here, but something now comes up and slaps Nehemiah, the leader, who's trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So they have a very simple task uh, in principle, not in effort or uh, difficulty to accomplish it. But this task is, real, hey, we've got to rebuild the walls and hang the gates back on. But his fellow Jews come to him and said, do you have no idea how, how devastated our families are? There's a famine, we're all dead broke, we're selling our land, we're taking high interest to pay the king's tax, we have to sell our children as slaves, some of our daughters have become slaves to their other Jewish brethren who have deep pockets and more money. And Nehemiah, somehow, some way, this was off of his radar. He, he saw the walls that were crumbling, but he did not see into the living rooms and the kitchens of homes that people were being devastated in their own personal financial life. Just because there's a cultural war going on out there doesn't mean we don't have to buy groceries and pay the rent, right? So it, gets, it doesn't get more personal, because I can't build the wall out there to help the community and the nation if my family's broken and devastated. That's the place some of us are in listening to this message right now. It's like, yeah, I'd like to step up, but you you have no idea what's going on in my marriage. You have no idea what's going on with my teenagers. You have no idea, I'm I'm about ready to lose my house. I I, I, I can't make, I I can't make the rent. You have no idea, through two years of COVID, I was out of work and I ran up all my credit cards and I'm totally maxed out, I, I don't know what to do. Because really, you have to start at home and work your way out, right? Even with spreading the gospel in the book of Acts, it says the gospel starts in Jerusalem, and then it goes to Judea, and then it goes to Samaria, and then it goes to outer parts of the earth. In my own life, I personally have to get right with the God. I have to work on my marriage being right with God. I have to raise up my children to be right with God and be in investing in them. Yes, it's easier, sometimes it's easier to close your checkbook, close the door on your house and go out here and be involved in the community while everything's burning down at home. Because the emotional effort that that takes is a lot of work. <laughs> right, anybody, you feeling me? Right? Working with your teenagers, if you have a teenager in your house, you have tension. You, oh yeah, amen. Oh yeah, because tension goes with raising kids. As they get closer to that launch of leaving the house, their independence is growing, and they're they're chafing against the restrictiveness of the guidelines of parents. You have you have conversations like this with my seventeen-year-old daughter. She's hey dad, I'm going to be out with my friends. Can I? You know, they all don't have to be home till one in the morning. I said no. You're going to be home at eleven. Dad, I'm seventeen. I don't care. I'd tell her over and over, nothing happens good after 11 o'clock at night, honey. Nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. And all of her friends would mock her and say, you just love daddy's girl, you can't be after 11. she you know, everything inside of her is just chafing against this. And then she I'd hear her walking in, I'm like, honey, you home? Yes, dad, nothing good happens after 11, you know. <laughs> I don't know about you but my my kids needed a parent that was watching out for them, not a best friend that walked with them into trouble i didn't like we we live in a really funky generation now that uh, all these parents are just trying to be buddies with their kids they have lots of friends they have lots of buddies and hopefully if i do a good job when my kids are adults we're going to love each other like friends because you're no longer exercising authority over them but I love my son and daughter with an incredible love. As friends now today, and I have them in that way because they do have a a, a, a smidgen of respect for the love, truth, and discipline I raised them with. So, But the reality that Nehemiah is dealing with, that there's a bunch of heartbroken people, and he realizes, yeah, there's a crisis going out here in our community. We have to rebuild these walls, but unless, unless we help these families rebuild, We'll have nothing, so what? We got the walls and the gates up, but everything's broken down in the homes. Families are the building block of all society. Families are the building block of all society. doesn't matter where you go culturally. Families are the building block. That's why when those things are fractured, it's very difficult to um, be effective as a community because you're not strong at home. Once you're strong, as long as... As long as I'm right with my wife and my kids when you know, they're growing up, as long as that's right, I'm pretty much fearless out here. Because as a preacher, you get lots of flack and you get lots of adulation. People think, oh, that was a great sermon. I hate your guts. You get both ends of it, right? It's, it, God, God balances the blessings with the buffeting of the people. And so you're always getting the tar knocked out of you. And it only, you know, nine people can say that was a great sermon. It only takes one or two to really devastate you with uh, their their criticisms. But I really never, I mean, through all these years of ministry, I really never cared what people said out there. I knew as long as I was right with Jesus and I was right with my wife and my kids knew I loved them, I don't care what the opinion is out there. But on the other hand, when my wife and I were sideways with each other, or I'm struggling with my kids, that was more devastating to me than all the voices coming against me. Maybe you're listening to this message today, and and you're hearing this message because we're really talking about part four of rebuilding a nation. And part four of rebuilding a nation for you is just to get things right at home. You just got to get things right. Get right in your relationship. Invest in your kids. Maybe you have to pause on this bigger fight that we're doing. And you just need to spend the next year really investing in them, getting your finances restored, getting your job in such a way that you're no longer going to lose everything you have. And Nehemiah focuses on that just because there's a national crisis, needs must be dealt with, even in hard times, because problems don't go away at home just because there's balloons coming nonstop. Right? We shoot the one down over North Carolina. We shoot the one down in Alaska. They shot the one down in Canada. And now they've closed the airspace in Montana and Michigan today. There's another. Is there, like, is there just like this balloon parade coming? Like, what's going on? And you're worried about a balloon, but you know, your 17 year old won't talk to you. So I, so I think probably the priority should be your 17 year old and not really worried about the balloon. I doubt if the balloon's going to fall on your house, right? It's really easy for us, isn't it, to get mixed up with priorities, focusing on the, the wrong things. And when you put the Lord first and those immediately around you, because you can be doing a lot of effort out there, but I've discovered the simple truth. There's only gonna be a handful of people by me on my deathbed. That's my wife, my kids, my grandkids. And so that investment is paramount. And I have beautiful grandkids, as everybody does, anybody that's got grandkids, they're the smartest, they're the brightest, they're the most amazing. And uh, my granddaughter uh, was going to school, they live in upstate New York, and a little Christian school, she's four, so she goes to preschool half day and my daughter's a beautiful woman of god she loves jesus with all of her heart and she's raising the kids in the ways of the lord so my granddaughter they pulled into the parking lot and the school had not contacted my daughter that school was closed because the snow plow didn't show up to put salt on the the driveway and parking lot and everything so they pull in my daughter goes oh no they closed school today for the snow and they didn't call us or anything and my little four-year-old granddaughter she said she said it must be the spirit of the Lord, because I didn't want to go to school today. <laughs> I thought to myself, she might not be an, ap- uh, 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 an academic, academic, but at least she loves God. So, <laughs> But the reason we want to have strong families and why we want to make a difference in our nation, I'm making a difference for my granddaughter, for my grandson, for the next generation. And I want to be faithful in that relay to hand that off to them. Well, so not not only should needs must be dealt with, even in hard times, but we, secondly, overcoming the strategy of the enemy as we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6. Now, it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, these are the three enemies of Nehemiah's effort. This is the progressive left that wants to destroy his work for God. And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates. That Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. These individuals, when they saw the success of Nehemiah, first of all, they thought they could intimidate him, fill him with fear, and that it, the work would fail. They did not know that Nehemiah was designed with more hearty stuff, some steel in his soul to accomplish God's purposes. And he was a great leader. He had leadership skills that are off the chart. And so when they saw that the wall all the way around is now built up, there's no gaps in it except the, the gates are not on the, the walls yet. Then they change their tactics from fear and attack to let's have coffee. Let's meet down at Starbucks. Let's get together. You and me, you know, simpatico, bro. Come meet with me, bro. And they're sending him letters. And Nehemiah's like, you went from telling me you're going to attack and kill all our people to wanting coffee? I mean, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but that doesn't make any sense. And I love his response. They send this note to him. They, they text him, if you will, four times. Same exact message. And I love, this is just like a, one of those things that says, And meet us in the valley of Ono. And his answer is, Oh no, I'm not <laughs> going to. Right? It just fits perfectly. The valley of Ono. It's, oh no, don't go to Ono. Because it says that they meant to do him harm. They wanted to isolate him and get him away from the strength of the numbers of his team and fill with fear. You see, the enemy knows that if he can isolate you and get you away from this kind of community that strengthens you, he can take you out one by one. And that's why the enemy's strategy is always fill with fear, intimidate, and isolate, and get you alone. So that you don't have the strength of people around you to encourage you, to build you up, to help you. Because there's strength in numbers, right? If all of us are together, we kind of just, okay, we're all together. You can't take all of us. But when you're alone, it's a lot more intimidating. Isn't it funny how courageous we are on Sunday morning and how cowardous we are on Monday morning? Right? Here we're the majority. Praise God, we'll take it. And on Monday mornings, everybody I work with don't want anything to do with God. Don't open your mouth. Hopefully, I'm, they don't find out. I'm undercover. But Nehemiah, in this story, as he interacts with them, we're learning lessons. So the enemy just keeps choosing tactics to take him out. The first was open fear, mocking, humiliation, terror. And now it switches to come alongside, throw his arm around him and say, let's have some coffee. The one is as dangerous as the other, but it takes some discernment. Nehemiah sees through it all. He just says, you know what? I'm, I love what he said. He said, I'm doing a great work for God. Can I just share you, if you with you, if you're loving God, and loving your family, and loving people around you, you are doing a great work for God. He doesn't say, I'm doing a large, in quantity, you know, a quantity. He just says, I'm, your life that is serving in the center of God's will, whatever you're doing, you are doing a great work for God. And when you see your calling and your function in that way, it elevates the sense of importance for what you're doing. It's not Insignificant. You go well. I'm not doing much. You know, I'm this or that. whatever you're doing with your sphere of influence. God knows who you are. He knows what you're doing, how you speak up, how you're being salt and light, whatever that might be. Do not the the enemy wants to diminish your individual value? Well, I'm not that. I'm I'm not Pastor Rob traveling the country. I'm not Pastor Rick now preaching on Sunday morning to hundreds. I'm just, no, never never diminish who you are. You are an image bearer of the true and living God. You are a child of God, and you have a voice for God. And you're standing up for God in whatever realm that God has you. Do not diminish that, because the enemy, I promise you, will try to diminish that. So moms so often will say, you know, I'm a mom, and I got three little kids at home. That is the greatest pulpit a mom's kitchen table for any child to be raised in the ways of the Lord. Moms need to know how valuable and important they are. G. Campbell Morgan was called the Prince of Preachers. He's an amazing preacher, lots of commentaries, in a bygone generation. He had four boys. All four of his boys became preachers. So there's five preachers in the house, and they were asked one day at a family gathering with five preachers, somebody said, who's the best preacher in the Morgan family? And all of them in unison, as if it was practice, said, mother is. (laughs) And no idea that the person that brought that influence was a person behind the scenes that nobody ever saw in a pulpit. The same thing's true of me. The only reason I'm here today, by the grace of God, is I had a grandmother praying for me every day of my life. Her mother, my great grandmother, laid hands on my mom's tummy while I was still in the womb and prayed for the spirit of God to be upon my life from my mother's womb. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of this until I got radically saved at at 19 because I was running hard from God. (laughs) I wanted nothing to do with God. I found out all this stuff after the fact. And my grandmother, as I began to press in and learn this stuff, my grandmother said, I've been praying for you. One day I said, Grandma, how much do you pray for me? My grandmothers had great grandmother names, wonderful. It was, her name was Jewel. What a Jewel she was, Grandma Jewel. And my other grandma was another godly woman. Her name was Goldie. So Goldie and Jewel were praying for my wretched hide. And I just tell you, if Grandma's praying for you, just give up. They're not going to shut up, so you might as well just give up. But my grandmother was at a rest home visiting my great Aunt Marie, her sister. It was a Sunday morning, and the person that facilitates the Sunday morning ministry at this rest home did not show up. So an awkward attendant said, well, the person didn't show up, and I don't know what to do, and I'm not really a Bible study leader, and so my grandmother spoke up. She was a really fiery person with an Oklahoma accent, and she says, well, the Bible says let the redeemed of the Lord say so, so I'm just a saying so. That's the way she talked. (laughs) And the guy was startled by my grandmother's boldness. She's super bold. And he said, "Well, ma'am, I I think you should facilitate this meeting because I don't know." She just said, "No, sir, I'm not a preacher. I just raise them." (laughs) Because at that time, my grandfather, her husband, was teaching a adult Sunday school uh, class. My dad was teaching a home fellowship in Sacramento. My brother was teaching a Bible study in Burley, Idaho, and I had just started a church. And my grandmother's prayers in the dusty, sleepy little town on the West End, they call them West Enders, at the end of the Magic Valley in a place called Castleford, where people go to die, basically, was seeking the throne of heaven for us. Do you understand the power of your individual life in the grace of God to make a difference? Who are you praying for? Who are you loving? Your influence can go on throughout eternity Nehemiah was doing a great work, but can I tell you individually, if you are sincerely surrendered to God and saying, God, use me today, you are doing a great work for him. I don't care what your name is, what gender you are, what face, where you work, how much money you have in the bank, you can reach heaven every day and intercede to see the hand of God move. They wanted to rob that from Nehemiah, but he saw through it. In verse 5, it says, then Samballot sent his servant to, to me as before the fifth time. So four times they sent him a letter. He said, no, I'm not going to the Valley of Ono. With an open letter in his hand, in it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, so Samballot's writing the letter, and Geshem is saying, and it's reported, uh, you know, the rumor bill, this is what's trending right now on Twitter, that you and the Jews plan to rebel against the king. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be, Nehemiah, called the king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. (laughs) Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. So now he tries to leverage by using these rumors and say, You know, we're going to get word back to the king in Persia and saying that you're trying to be hailed as King Nehemiah. None of it's true. All he's doing is rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They are a a people that are subservient to this ruling kingdom. So he's lying about him, and he talks about the rumors, and he's writing a letter. You know how much stuff is said about us in this valley? Any of you have next door an app? No, I'm banned three times. You got banned three times. a girl. So (laughs) I first arrived here. And uh, because when I first arrived, and Rob had asked me to come help, I had nowhere to stay, obviously. I just came to town with a suitcase, my wife and I, in our vehicle. And so we just went down to the Palm Garden Hotel, and we're living in the hotel for oh, almost two months. And uh, uh, I don't mind, you're empty nesters, right? It's just like, you know, somebody else makes my bed every day, this is a good deal. But <laughs> I'm down at the pool, and, I'm, and it's a Saturday, and uh, I meet some family, and the Lord ministers in my heart, hey, I want to share you, I want you to share them. With them about jesus i'm like okay so i start talking to this young family and as i start talking about jesus and the young family in the church and then their parents showed up and their parents live up here in dos vientos from uh down yonder and and so i mention it and the the parents eyes both lit up really big like you're you're with god speak they said do you know what next door is the neighbor thing And I said, I have no clue. I'm I'm, I'm the least technical person you're ever going to meet in your life. I don't know, you know, (laughs) any kind of stuff like that. And and they said, you know what this is? Do you know what the people are saying about you? I said, "Uh, I don't think I really want to know. (laughs) They said, the people in Delos Vientos hate your guts. And they went through through this whole list of things, what they were saying about us. I told them I wasn't really sure that I wanted to know, but they were (laughs) emphatic on uh, enlightening me. And so that's what the neighborhood's thinking on that kind of app. And then my wife, we're looking at the apartments somewhere. This is close to here. And she asked, a, somebody was on their patio. She's like, hey, we're thinking about moving into these apartments. What do you think about it? And the lady was real sweet and friendly. And she goes, well, what are you doing here? And she said, well, my husband is a pastor and he's going to come help God's feet. And this woman became a fire-breathing dragon, man. She, Wah! And my wife comes home. She's like, babe, <laughs> I just want you to know about this, this hostile interaction. I was thankful that there was a little barrier between her patio and me. This lady was so torqued off. And, but to understand the rumors and what people are saying is usually there might be a grain of truth, but it's so embellished or twisted and out of context of what, who we really are. It's not true. We, we are not homophobic. We are not transphobic. We're not white supremacists. We're not racist. We're not xenophobic. I had to look on that one up one of the first time I heard it years ago, (laughs) right? You know, that you hate foreigners. No, if you want to secure borders so that people come in in law and orderly way to the country, you're not a xenophobe. You're for practical law and order, right? I don't care. America's a melting pot. I don't care what what country you come from. Anyway, these things are not true. But do you understand 2,500 years ago in public opinion nehemiah was dealing with the exact same thing we are here today 2500 years ago there's nothing new under the sun these are the enemy's tactics this is what he does this is how he treats people and it's always to intimidate you and to shut your mouth and to stop you from doing what god wants you to do it's always a simple thing verse 8 then i sent to him saying no such thing as you say are being done (laughs) liar liar so fire (laughs) But I love this. But you invent them in your own heart, that's what I think. This verse, for the last two years, when people are lying about us, this verse is the one that comes to my mind. These people are inventing it in their own heart, and what you're saying is not true, right? So it's a line that worked good for Nehemiah, so I'm gonna use it, I'm gonna borrow it, and I've got a lot of traction with it for the last two years. For they, are all, they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done, now therefore, O God, Strengthen my hands. So he says, they're trying to make us afraid. They're trying to weaken the work. And so he prays, therefore, O God, strengthen me. Help me not be afraid, but strengthen me in this great work. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, who was a secret informer. So now they changed, changed track. Uh, tactics to another individual a secret informer and he said let us uh, meet together in the house of god you know i'm a believer like you let's get together in god's house snake and it says within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you indeed at night they will come to kill you so you better come with me let's go to the house of the lord for refuge because nehemiah you're going to be assassinated And he puts his arm around him once again like he's some kind of protective security guard, but he's just bringing him to the place, or wants to take him. Nehemiah doesn't take the bait. In verse 11, I said, should such a man as I flee, and who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He was a paid prophet. He was a Not a non-profit individual. He was for profit, got paid. Puns get really bad by the one o'clock service. Verse 13, for this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and to act that way and sin. Think of this. He wanted to make me afraid to behave that way to save my own life that I might sin. Sin is just missing God's perfect mark, and Nehemiah knew my mark is to do what God wants me to do. So that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. They might get him in there to be feared. And then they would turn the rumor around. You see, Nehemiah is afraid. He's running for his life. They go from the one to the other in tactics. In verse 14, My God, remember Tobiah and Samballot, according to these, their works, and the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who have made me afraid. Tell God on the people that are talking trash about you. That's what Nehemiah does. He says, my God, remember them, and not for good things. <laughs> Lord, deal with them and their works and all of their lives, because they're trying to make me afraid. I pray for the enemies that I have all the time, that God would just do a work in their life, bring them to the end of themselves, bring them to a place of brokenness, that they might cry out and say, Jesus is Lord. That's how I pray for Gavin Newsom. That's how I pray for President Biden. That's how I pray for uh, AOC or Schumer or Nancy Pelosi. Lord, bring them to the end of themselves that they come to their knees and look up and say, Jesus is Lord, because in that moment, when God radically saves people, he turns them around to be a useful instrument because they know that side of the aisle and they can bring a lot of illumination. When the Lord converted Saul of Tarsus, who was killing Christians he now had an individual that fully understood the enemies of God that were religious in nature. And there's nothing too hard for the Lord. The Lord can do that in anybody's life. How do we pray for them? How do we ask God to intervene? You know, the Bible says that if I dig a pit and I'm hoping somebody else is gonna fall into it, I'm the one that falls into the pit. If I roll a stone like I'm trying to roll it over the top of somebody else, that stone ends up rolling onto me. God has a way of protecting his people to accomplish his purposes, but it doesn't mean, get this, if you're, taking, if you're going to sleep right now, if you're checking the pregame on your phone for the Super Bowl, wanting to know if the Eagles got a shot, right? Wake up, pay attention. Just because God's called you and is using you does not mean it's going to be easy. This is the thing. People go, I want to stand up for God. I say, really? <laughs> really? You know what you're signing up for? Oh, yeah, I know. How many people over the years? I told me, Pastor, God's called me in the ministry. I'm going to do And they tell you these grandiose things they're going to do, filled with bravado. And I look at them and go, yeah? Okay. I said, let's talk in a year. You fully give yourself to it and get the tar knocked out of you in the spiritual battle and learn how to be strong in your faith in Jesus through the thick and thin, and then we'll talk. Because for a lot of people, the idea of serving God and being heroic sounds very romantic, but the reality is much different. Man, it's a brutal, brutal calling. To have people lying about you that you've never met in your life, they have no clue who you are, and yet they lie and, and malign you. It's like, it's so strange to have people hate my guts that I've never met, I've never spent time with, but they, they are fire-breathing with their hatred towards me for one simple reason. I love Jesus and I speak the truth. Those seem like very odd things to be hated for. Very odd things. But Jesus promised us, he said, no disciple is above His teacher, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So that identification and as Nehemiah is going through this. So, first, we had the in for now, this acronym in is you got to have neighbors to have momentum in a cultural battle. Secondly, the O, you can't overlook. The difficulties in your own family just because there's a battle out here. You got to take care of home and business. But lastly, this brings us all to this place that is, we've journeyed now six chapters in the book of Nehemiah to get to the winning part, the, the W, the thing that we want. What do people want today that are rooting for the Eagles? They want to win. Those who are re- rooting for the Chiefs want to win. Everybody wants to win, but there's a conflict. At the end of tonight, there are going to be people that are bruised and banged up, and they've got torn ligaments and sore muscles and concussions. I mean, a lot is going to happen between now and then. But somebody's going to get the W, the win column. But as believers, so often we're used to taking a lot of abuse. But realize that it is always God's desire to bring us to the place of succeeding in what he's called us to do. To win, right? That's the goal, to win. Nehemiah, from the time he said, I want to go help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and hang the gates for God and his people. I want to stand up and make a difference. Look at now as he wins in verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it. Check this out when all of our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Man, what an incredible statement, huh? When we get to the end of this journey that we're on and what God has for us and what Nehemiah had, he had very physical Uh, dimensions to his goals of rebuilding these walls and putting the gates back on. And in 52 days, in less than two months, he accomplished something that the rubble had basically been that way for 100 years. And he built it in 52 days. And he went to hell and back through conflict with these people trying to make him afraid and threatening to kill him and trying to deceive him through, you know, false prophets and getting him into the Valley of Ono and all this stuff that he's got going on. Even his team that he's trying to build with, their families are falling apart. They're in debt. They're selling their daughters as slaves to make enough money to pay the king's tax. I mean, it's a nightmare what this guy goes through in two months. But man, when they had that wall finished and all the gates on, was it all worth it? Absolutely. Because you see what the walls and the gates represent. The Bible says for us as Christians, the New, the New Testament says the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits, there's nine fruits of the Spirit, What are the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control is the ability to say yes to the right things, right, in your life, and no to the wrong things. That's self-control. Should I eat that? No. Should I snort that? No. Should should I eat this good thing? Yes. Should I build that relationship with that person? Yes. Should I go to the gym? Yes. Saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things, right? Because you've heard your whole life, you should have a to-do list. You know that, right? You got a to-do list today. But do you know that's probably what's more important than a to-do list is the not to-do list today? These are things I should not do today, and these are the hardest because I don't have that list because every time I write that list, I keep doing the things I don't want to do. I get stuck in Romans chapter 7. The things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I just keep doing it. What a putz, right? It's the fallen sinful condition. So the nation of Israel, you have to start with the heart though. Once my heart's right with God, He fills me with a redemption through the power of his Spirit that now the fruit of the Spirit helps me to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. But for the nation of Israel, the heart was the temple, and they had got right with God. They rebuilt the house of the Lord. So the center of their world was now right with God, but the walls represented them rebuilding the self-control in their life. The walls kept out the bad things, and the gates let in the good things. They needed trade, they needed food, they needed good things to come in and out of the gates, but they could shut the gates to the bad things. The redemption, God's end to rebuilding people's lives. Have you figured that out? He loves it, he loves to redeem. He loves to redeem a family and he loves to redeem a nation. And in all of this, as Nehemiah was running towards God's goal and will, when it was accomplished and the success and the celebration happened, What did it say of the nations around them that had tried to fill them with fear? They tried to stop the process. They lied to him. They lied about him. They talked trash. It says all the nations around us saw these things. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, and they perceived only a supernatural God that they served could do that. Even their enemies were witness to about the living God through their faithfulness in their life. When people watch you go through adversity and still accomplish God's will, even the unsaved world stands up and go, it must have been their God. Only their God could help them with that. We tried everything to defeat them and it just couldn't happen. We are more than conquerors in our relationship with God because the beautiful thing is, as a Christian I start from the finish line of victory already. I'm not running for the finish line. I start from the finish line because of the righteousness that Jesus gives us by faith. And then I run from the place of victory. Can you imagine the kind of confidence that whether it's the Eagles or it's the Chiefs today, if they have this prophetic word downloaded into their hearts, today you are going to be the Super Bowl champions. And when they go out onto the field just like knowing, hey, we're all, you know, we know already we're going to be the champions. That's what the child of God starts every day with. Because the only thing they can do, the worst they can do to us, you guys, is kill us. And at that moment, they've just given me the greatest blessing to usher me into a perfect paradise in the very presence of God. So once you've discovered, once you've discovered something worth living and dying for in your relationship with Jesus, and standing for freedom in your nation, you're unstoppable, you're unstoppable. Nehemiah was not afraid for his life. If they find him there, that's great. But he's not going to the Valley of Ono. He's not going to go hide in the sanctuary the or sanctuary, the temple of God. He's going to do the work that God's called him to. And when God's done with him, he can take him home. But until then, you are unstoppable. You are bulletproof until the Lord says, now you're all done. When you have that kind of confidence, and you believe that what you're doing is that important, the gospel that we present the gospel that we live in our relationship with jesus jesus is truly worth living and dying for for me but secondarily so that i can continue to do that the freedom in america to give to my beautiful grandchildren is worth me living and dying for and because of those two things it's very difficult for someone to dissuade me otherwise they can take all my money they can take my life They can take everything I have. They can throw me in prison. If they throw me in prison, I'm going to have a prison ministry. People are going to get baptized. People are going to follow the Lord. I might have to sprinkle them from the sink, but it's all going to keep happening. It's just like the missionary that was thrown into the prison in China. In every prison he went to, there was an incredible revival, but they threw him into prison there was a revival, and they were trying to thwart the revival, so they moved him into, to another prison. He became basically a state-sponsored missionary from prison to prison. Every prison he went to, people are getting converted, right? How do you stop somebody like that? You can't. They're unstoppable. And so are we when we keep our eyes on the Lord and faith in Jesus. We are unstoppable. doesn't matter how dark it gets out there, how much people trash our name, how much they want to make us afraid. I've never had the words of Patrick Henry resonate with my soul like it has in the last three years. Give me liberty or give me death. Give me a free society to live in that I can love God with all my heart. I don't wanna live in, under tyranny. I don't wanna live under oppression. I don't wanna live in an underground church, but I can. I mean, I, you have to survive if you have to. What is it, as we close, that is silencing you or stopping you from simply following what God's put in your heart to pursue as a servant? And if it's nothing, praise God, you're right on track. But if there's something that you have to say, Lord, give me courage. Because sometimes when we're tired or worn out, exhaustion makes cowards of us all. So we have to get refreshed, and re-engage in this conflict that we have. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the clarity of your word. It's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path, It's a sharp two-edged sword that discerns the thoughts and in the intents of the heart. Lord, it's, it's the nourishment of bread that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thank you for your word that is so relevant, like it was written yesterday, to people and situations like us. So, Lord, write it upon our hearts. Fill us with your spirit and your courage to be useful instruments for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: I've seen the light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa Whoa Whoa, whoa.